0: Hey everybody, Mike June here with Game Changers for Government Contractors. And I have John Ferry on here with me today. And John, I think I told you right before we started, I'm excited about this podcast. It's one of the most anticipated ones of several months because I love the topic we're gonna to be talking about AI today. Before we jump in, why don't you hop on, tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: I appreciate it, and thanks for having me on, Mike. Game Changers has been really instrumental in my professional career. I own a company called Trenchant Analytics, and I recently founded another company called called Antonym AI. And on the trench analytics side, we build digital platforms for government. So we actually have an AI tool called Acbot that's helping to accelerate and AI power acquisitions. And then on the other side, Antonym, we have a similar platform called Use Rogue that is trying to apply AI to proposal writing and the capture process. So that's kind of my background, military background, got into government contracting about 15 years ago, and now uh, really just trying to help folks in this space.
0: That's awesome. And when you sent this over, I was like, yeah, we got to talk about this because you know, there's so many people that have the love-hate relationship with AI. And for me, I kind of look at AI as the first major innovation of kind of like my lifetime. I think people look at like the iPhone and they're like, oh, that's the major innovation. I'm like, we had phones and we had computers. It, It was a huge leap in technology. Don't get me wrong, but we were still familiar with it. It's not like going from horse, Buggy to a car, it's not the same. It's totally different. And AI is like one of the really big leaps. And I think for me on the hate side of it, what I see is people going, "Well, this is going to take away jobs. It's going to do all these scary things." And I'm like, "Yeah, they thought that about the car. Then they thought the that computer. about the computer exactly. and the assembly line, and they thought that about literally everything." Now this one has some scary implications. I've seen some scams and some scary stuff going on with like the voice cloning and all that stuff. So there's some scary things, but I think if you were even. Rem- Remotely educated on stuff like that, you realize there's scams every day of every sort. I mean, people are getting scammed via email for millions of dollars. And I don't mean to go down the rabbit hole on this one, but the the hospital here locally where we are, I think they got scammed like a couple of years ago for almost $300,000 via email. So people are like, well, you know, there's just all these bad implications. I'm like, it's all around us all the time anyway. You just got to get smart about it. Why don't we hop in with the first question being, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what AI is? Because I think everybody has heard of it but not everybody really understands it other than thinking oh is that the terminator stuff so what is ai in your opinion
1: Yeah. So to use really, really simple terms, right? AI is a branch of machine learning and there's a bunch of different ones, right? This kind of adds to the confusion and the challenge of getting into this space is, you know, you say AI and it is chat GPT for language. It's stable diffusion for making pictures. It's it's so many different things. And it's a catch-all term for a type of computer science. Really fundamentally in my mind, when I talk about AI, i'm thinking of i have a computer i say hey computer here's a bunch of examples of a particular thing there's a bunch of examples of english papers here's a bunch of examples of pictures of dogs and you feed it a bunch of examples of whatever that type of media is what that data is with very clean labels on it and then you ask that computer to spit back those things at you there's a lot of technical talk and jargon about training data and very clean training data. There's a lot of things going on. And I think one of the things that adds to this confusion is that AI and machine learning and natural language processing and all these things that are are built together. From my perspective, and I spent about eight years at DARPA as a support contractor, so I've seen real hardcore AI and really the fundamental research that goes into this. This is one of those fields maybe similar to the computer revolution, but I think it's a little bit different in that it went very quickly from the lab where Mm. specialized experts know about it and they have very dense terms that mean very specific things. And then it immediately jumped into the mainstream when ChatGPT kind of broke it out like six months ago, right? Now, everybody's trying to play catch up, but the terminology and how we talk about these things is still hyper jargon laden. Like what is a token and why should I care? What is a context window, right? What is prompt engineering? They sound really, really daunting to lay people like ourselves, but the things they're talking about are pretty simple things. I think we can demystify a little bit of those things and make it a little less threatening for folks if we just start using more plain language when we talk about these
0: things. I think that's a really helpful approach to it. it really did just explode all of a sudden overnight where people had never they kind of knew it was on the horizon. And then all of a sudden there was a tool in their hands. Now there's hundreds, if not thousands of these tools in their hands. Every day I'm like, oh, here's a new AI tool that'll do this or that ones that I've never heard of all of a sudden, which kind of brings me to the next question here of what are your favorite AI tools? Did you know we have our own government contracting community? It's called Federal Access. And inside Federal Access, you have all the tools, tips, strategies, documents, templates, everything you're ever going to need to be a government contractor. But you also get brought into our ecosystem. You get into our private LinkedIn group and you get into our live events and all that kind of thing when you become a member of Federal Access. To learn more, go to federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Now let's get back into this episode out.
1: So aside from the shameless plug for my own tools, which I like, and I'll I'll talk a little bit about why, ChatGPT is great, right? It's very approachable. I personally actually use the OpenAI models. So you can Mm -hmm. sign up for ChatGPT. It's a very user-friendly interface. You can also sign up to actually use OpenAI and you can use the tools that are built into the AI platform there. And they're a little bit better. You can tune them a little bit more than you can ChatGPT. ChatGPT is kind of set the way that you Mm -hmm. interact with it. It's kind of like computers, right? You can use a computer and it can be plain vanilla and it works really well for a consumer, or you can get into Linux and really tune the way it works. ChatGPT is great, I love it. I actually write a lot of blog posts using a tool called Moonbeam. I think it's gomoonbeam.com. So if you're gonna write like blog posts, LinkedIn posts, journal articles, it's really built towards writing those types of things and it's really tuned and the workflows Mm -hmm. are really smooth for that. I really like Midjourney for generating art I've used Stable Diffusion, I've used Dolly 2 For the type of things that I generate for like my headline pictures on my blog posts, I like MidJourney and it's really convenient to access it through Discord. Those are probably my top ones. Like you said, there's a bunch coming out all yeah. the time.
0: Yeah, I just saw one the other day. It's, I think it's a Microsoft one. They're like, this is gonna replace Canva. You just type a sentence and tell it, you want a photo of yourself and you want yourself going down a roller coaster or something like that. And you want the roller coaster to be red and it does the photo and it does the captions and it does all those kind of things, right? And you're like, that's just crazy. And then the other day I'm sitting here on Skype and I'm messaging with somebody and all of a sudden I get a new message from Bing. I don't know if you've gotten this one. And Bing is like, hey, we're a brand new AI tool integrated in with Skype. Ask me a question. It's coming at us from all angles, whether you like it or not. I'm just a regular Skype user and all of a sudden now I've got it. It's integrated in with what I'm doing there.
1: That's part of the challenge. Microsoft, they integrated, they bought half of OpenAI, which makes ChatGPT and GPT and all that stuff. They integrated that into Bing. If you don't want to sign up for an OpenAI license and start paying monthly for that, if you have up-to-date Edge browser, you can go into Edge right now. And in the top right, there's like a little chat Mm -hmm. icon. And that opens up essentially a version of ChatGPT. So it's a really easy way to just start playing with it for no money. Similarly, Google was kind of a fast follower of, you <laughs> Microsoft. And they did the same thing with BARD. So you can go to, I think it's bard.google.com and do essentially the same thing with Google. The big advantage there, and one of the advances that that had, particularly for us as consumers, was there's been a lot of talk about hallucinations in AI. And what that really means is you asked it to do something that it doesn't have data on. And so what it does when it quote unquote hallucinates is it just makes something up based <laughs> on what it does have knowledge of, right? I did a thing where I I asked it for a bunch of examples for robotic process automation in government uses. There aren't that many. And what's worse is there aren't a lot of public examples of it. So it gave me 50 examples of completely artificial, created, really official sounding examples of natural language processing in government. But with those two new tools, with BARD and with Bing, they've plugged that generative model into the search engine. So if it doesn't have data on something in its Mm generation model it actually does an automated search for you Mm. and starts to lace those things together so it's super useful for us as consumers but for highly technical folks it's kind of gimmicky
0: i must give a plug to everybody who paid for chat gpt because When they went to their, they went from the free to the paid model. There was a two week period there where if you're on the free version, you couldn't get in. And after about two weeks, I get in faster now on the free version than I ever. So thank you to everybody who's paying for it because I think they blocked it for two weeks and then they dropped the wall. And now I get in every time on the first try. You know, I don't know if you need your subscription anymore, but that's kind of funny. Let's talk a little bit more about how it's being used in GovCon. What are some good applications for it in GovCon? Like, what can it do for us? And then maybe the flip side of that coin, what can't it? do for us today?
1: That's a great question. And I've had this conversation with a lot of folks because I fortunately have kind of a front row seat on the bot side of things. I'm talking to government contracting officers and program managers every day about what can this new generative AI do to make government acquisition faster. And it's an awesome topic, right? Because if if you look at what AI can do, AI is really good at doing things that are standardized. And what's more standardized than government contracts? OTAs get a little bit further outside the boat, but man, a a letter contract is structured and it's standardized and there's only a couple of pieces in there that are really free text. The parts where AI is really good is creating content. And particularly if you have a piece of a couple sentences that you can give to the AI and say, hey, I'm writing a statement of work. A statement of work looks like this. I'm writing a statement of work for professional services for IT support. And we can get into the nuances of how that integrates with the acquisition process. But if you wanted to write you a statement of work for IT services, it'll probably do, just off the shelf, chat GPT will probably do a 70% job. I've given you a decent statement of work because there is public data out there that it has been trained on. So it knows generally what a statement of work looks like. If you help it by saying, hey, I am a government contracting officer first. This is the context and the prompt engineering they talk about all the time, right? You tell the model first, I'm a government contracting officer. And then you say, hey, this is kind of a statement of work I'm trying to write. And I want you to write a statement of work that looks like that for this particular thing, it'll give you good output and you can take that and you've saved yourself however much time, a couple of hours of writing that fully by hand. And you can do the last 20, 30% of editing yeah. to make it a quality product. So there's a big acceleration capability there for generating that content. I think the big place where this is going to be powerful is, you know, you take your current workflow as a acquisition professional on the government side and say, okay, where are the places where I'm doing copy paste. I'm taking an Mm -hmm. old template and putting it into a new form or I'm using a, a traceability matrix for something. That's a place where kind of old school, what they call robotic process automation is really good for. Those places where you typically have to write things from whole cloth or modify something that's old, that's somewhere where generative AI is really good. And if there are places where you have iterative conversations between like a contracting officer and a customer, that's a place where a well-tuned chatbot can actually produce really good results. And putting those things together into an actual platform is where you can start really accelerating mm. things. But I think off the shelf for any kind of contracting officer out there, it's worth a shot to just pull up ChatGPT. And actually, I'll give a caveat there. With completely unclassified non-CUI data or a completely non-CUI example case, go in there and see if you can play with it to get it to write you a decent statement of work or something like that that you would have to physically write 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 yourself. The same thing goes on the industry side. We have capture and proposal processes. They're very well structured and the same thing applies, right? Where you can automate the manual processes with structured content. RPA works really well. Where you have to sit down and write whole sections of proposals. The way I talk about it is I have that 11 second sales pitch in my head of how I would solve your problem. Any good salesperson has that. The arduous part is turning that 11 second sales pitch into a 55 page proposal. That's what takes us a month to do. And that's where you can accelerate a lot of that writing from whole cloth or copy pasting from old proposals or old responses. You can accelerate that quite a bit just off the shelf. Again, Don't use highly sensitive proprietary data with ChatGPT. You can take that stuff and you can get it to turn a couple of sentences with a good prompt into paragraphs of content, and it can accelerate your writing process.
0: That's the one thing I really love about all of it, because as somebody who is a writer, you experience times where it's either writer's block or I actually got this flu cold thing. A few weeks ago, we had to reschedule this podcast because of it. And when you've got the flu and you're on cold medicine, whatever, you're like, I think I've got an idea and I'm trying to write it down, but it's just great to be able to pop it in and go, oh, well, that's more clarity than I had come up with based on my condition. And then you can tweak it. Like you said, one of the things i found very useful is like, I will actually write a paragraph, drop it in and say, rewrite this. rephrase it. Yeah. Rewrite it, rephrase it. And I'm like, oh, that looks better. Or like I like two or three of their sentences better. And so I'll take it and incorporate it into mine or something along those lines. The other one is for like headlines where you're like, I think I've got a good headline, but give me 10 examples. Oh, I like a piece of this one, piece of that one. And then the other thing is that I've found a lot of times is the training component. And I don't know how in-depth it actually goes, but I've instructed it a few times to go read the FAR. I've said, hey, go read this far example and then write me a response to this particular question that I have. And it'll go read it. I assume, because when it comes back and gives me the answer, I'm like, that's pretty spot on. That's really spot on. It either read it or it knew it already, and it'll come back with based on far this, and then it'll quote other far examples. And that's another thing that I'll have it do when I'm writing something is, you know, give me citations, statistics, different things like that, that would just take hours of research where as a human, you're just going to Google it. Like, you're literally going to Google it, sift through stuff, and instead of having to do that, you did it in 10 seconds. Some people are like, oh, it's cheating or whatever. And I'm like, it's just speeding up the research process that you would have to do manually. It's not cheating for you to hop in your car and drive across the state, is it? No, it's just a faster way to do it. That's all it is. Here's a popular and controversial question for you here. A lot of people are curious, like, will AI replace humans in the bid capture process and proposal process? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I don't think so. And I will caveat all of these things. Not anytime soon. That is the big answer. I think the best analog to this is we went from typewriters to computers. There was the same sort of aversion, right? The same sort of technophobia. And for good reason, right? There were a lot of folks that made their living and very good livings being typists, working on typewriters, producing stuff on paper. And that all had to move into computers. But we didn't have fewer people writing things on typewriters. We had more people, in fact, writing things on computers. I think the same thing is going to happen here? Are there going to be some fields that feel it a little bit more than others? Possibly. My prognosis in the near term is there is definitely going to be a visible difference between those proposal shops that adopt AI quickly and collapse that learning curve, right? The same learning curve that you had to collapse when you went from typewriters to computers, went from computers to cloud services, We're in another one of those learning curve epochs. And so the proposal shops that say, hey, this is, Really important. This can really make us go faster. Those shops that can lower their P win threshold when they're doing their go no go decisions, if it costs you half as much, or if you can write ever 10 times as many proposals, you can be that much more competitive. It doesn't mean that your decision process or your processes can change necessarily, but if you're choosing between I can propose to two things this year or four things this year based on the amount of money I have set aside for bid proposal, I can submit twice as many proposals. There's going to be twice as much competition. And so those companies that don't adopt that, that are still doing things the slow way, like the folks who didn't adopt computers and stuck to typewriters, those are the folks who are going to lose. And I don't mean mm. to be fearmonger about it. this. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just sitting on the shelf. It's available. The cost is, there's a learning curve to it. You have to figure yeah. out how to use it well and use it within the context of your individual and also like your team and your company context like how can we build this into our workflows?
0: And I think the same could be said with literally any process or anything you do in your office. There are smarter, faster ways to do it. And there are companies that are just set in their ways. I mean, there's this company I used to work for years ago. I don't know if you know anything about accounting, but there's this system called the AS400. I think is what it was called. And this thing, the last software update was in like 1984. And the client that I was working, for was using this in 2012. Wow. The dad that's where he started with the dad was like almost 80 years old and that was the system he grew up on and literally he had these tapes that he would use. I can't even describe him. I've never seen anywhere else. It was these tapes that he would use to back it up and run it, and that was its memory. And he was one of like four programmers left in the world, I think, who would actually program (laughs) this thing, right? They refused to make the leap to the next thing. And I'm like, you've got to like learn code to get in here. And like, we're talking in 2010, nobody else can get into this thing because they don't know whatever language this thing is in. There are people stuck in their ways, just refusing to move. And that's going to hurt them eventually when people Ask me is this going to replace people i always say garbage in garbage out that's like my favorite thing like if you suck as a writer today it's just going to produce garbage faster for you if you don't have very good prompts if you don't have very good questions if your thought processes are kind of weak it's not gonna just wonderfully produce this amazing proposal for you whereas if i'm really good at it today it's just going to get better faster. And like, how can you compete with me if I'm already good at it and I'm just using a tool to make me faster? i with a car versus, say, a bicycle. I'm in a car. You don't even have a bicycle. You've got a unicycle or something, right? You can't compare the speed of those two things. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost in it. And I think I would rather see people move into other areas of the business. So instead of having to have 12 people in my proposal shop, maybe I only have five And those extra folks, I'm now using them for BD. Or I'm using them as project managers, or I'm using them as other areas to grow the marketing brand, whatever it is to grow the business, because now I don't have to have a proposal shop that has 25 people or whatever it is as I'm growing and trying to excel. I see the big difference for me is not the little guy, it's probably that mid tier guy that's trying to get into the large, or the guy who's on the threshold of the small business bubble and they're trying to get into the mid tier. I see that being the most affected because those are the ones that are trying to scale trying to compete. They're not trying to do two proposals a year. They're trying to do two a week, that sort of thing. And they don't know how to get to that scale. And so I see it really affecting that level a lot. I don't know if you have any thoughts about all that soapbox.
1: I think you're absolutely right. Cause we've talked to on the, the use rogue.com side, we really built that platform specifically for what you're talking about. There is a learning curve. If you're going to sit down and try to use chat GPT to write a full proposal, you've done this before. There's a lot of prompting you have to give into it, right? You have to give it the quote unquote context, right? You have to say, this is your persona. Here's what you're writing about, etc. And that's where the sort of tools that are well built for government uses, both on the government side and the industry side are still very much nascent. They're coming to fore, but they do a lot of that part for you, right? So if you want it to be paraphrased or rewritten in a more concise format, like we literally have buttons for that. So you don't have to learn how to do the prompts that's coming, but you're absolutely right. And what I've told folks who have asked is like, this is, not going to tell you how to solve the problem. You can ask ChatGPT, how can I give me a solution for this particular problem? It's going to give you not great answers. You as a government contractor still have to know how to solve your client's problems. You still Mm -hmm. have to do all the client engagement, all that really high value work that a human really still has to do. And you still have to be a good writer because just like another analogy is there's currently places where you can go buy a proposal template for any proposal under the sun. And the government knows when they just got a modified template. The same thing is going to be for AI. The government's going to be able to look at a proposal and be like, yep, GPT wrote this whole thing. It's DQ'd. So you still have to be a good writer to really get the power out of these tools. And on the size and scale point, the really bigs, right, the Lockmars, the Boozes, they have entire armies of writers. And they'll probably pick these tools up and they'll put it in the toolbox next to the other eight or 10 tools they have because they buy all of them. Mm -hmm. And the really little folks, they're probably not going to pick it up as fast because some folks really don't want to scale. It really is those middle-sized folks. The folks who are trying to go from like 25 or 50 people to 200 and 250 people or those folks who are right on the bubble and they're about to break their small business cap and they're about to start competing in the full and open market. I think that's the part, those folks, because they still have to watch the bottom line, they don't have a cushion and they have a big threshold they're trying to get over those larger smalls those are the folks who really need to start capitalizing on these platforms.
0: I 100% agree with it. You kind of alluded to a few things here in that last statement around being able to, what's the best way to put this? What's the stop someone from bidding on things that are just way outside their depth because of, hey, I've got this tool and the tool is going to allow me to do it. Give me a little bit more thoughts on that because you kind of touched on it a little bit there.
1: AI is going to help with that. If you have the motivation to say, I have no idea what they're asking for, but I'm going to bid on it anyway. AI is going to make that easier. It's going to be easier than if you bought a template because it is going to take the whole corpus of the internet plus whatever you can get out of Bing and it's going to build something in there. Can you make a worthwhile proposal using just GPT to fake it until you make it? Yes, sure, that is totally possible. And that is one of the biggest fears that I'm hearing from the contracting officers is holy smokes, one we're going to get 10x the number of proposals that we're going to have to sift through and two it's going to be even harder for us to whether or not these folks know what they're doing. And I will tell you, current state right now, the GPT detectors, the like Grammarlys for GPT content, none of them work. So there's not what an easy it? solution to this problem. The thing that I've been telling KOs and program managers is like, look, things are shifting. These are changing. You've had a good 20 years living off of paper proposals. We might need to go back to orals as a component in your proposal process. It's not a new idea. We need to get back there because having somebody in front of you having to tap dance and tell you how they're going to solve your problem is a really easy way to cut through the ai magic the other thing is let's look at how ai can help with this if ai Mm -hmm. can generate a decent proposal. The other thing AI can do is take a look at all of your proposals. And while it can't say this is GPT'd and this one is not, what it can do is it can take the, what they say, semantics, right, Right. the sense of what you're asking for out of your solicitation. And it can take the sense of what each proposer is proposing. And it can do a decent job of that initial wheat versus chaff judgment that you as a contracting officer or PM currently has to do anyway. Every source selection committee already opens up every one of those gigantic PDFs, does a scan through to figure out whether or not they're one compliant and two seem to know what they're doing. And then they automatically sort them into buckets of, I'm going to come back and read these in detail. And these are probably garbage. AI can do a lot of that sorting with you know a confidence interval. And so this is another place where AI is not going to be a panacea, but it can be an enabler for a lot of these things. And we should look for those opportunities where we can apply them in pragmatic ways.
0: Yeah, personally, I'm like, I don't care. If you wrote it with an AI tool, I don't care if you wrote it on a typewriter. I just want to know that you can do what you're saying you're going to do. And I think that it really doesn't matter how it's written. That's the component that's going to be difficult. I do think some people write a really good proposal today and have no clue how to execute on it, but just some of those people. And so I love the idea that you threw out there of throwing the oral component in there because you know when you get somebody in front of you and you start asking them questions and they're like, the <laughs> uh, I don't know, you know, the whole deer in the headlights, you know, pretty quick, like, yep, we shouldn't choose this company because whoever wrote this is not who I'm talking to. And this is who I'm going to have to be dealing with. I like that component that, you know, like, Hey, I don't care if you got to bring your whole technical team, but you know, your team needs to understand how to do whatever the thing is versus just being able to execute a good proposal, which again, it happens today without these tools. As we start to wrap up here, I've got a couple more questions for you. One is, and you sort of, alluded to this earlier and I I agree about like not a lot things changing over the next 50 years but like if you had to look maybe at the short term say the next three to five years do you have like maybe one or two predictions that you see happening in AI in GovCon?
1: In the near term, the AI arms race on the big tech side is going to continue till somebody bows out. I will warn everybody that this is going to continue and it might actually accelerate, right? Between like Google, Facebook and Microsoft slash OpenAI, they're going to keep one upping each other on these models. What you're going to start seeing is these models and the tie-ins it's coming to Microsoft Office 365 first is it's going to start getting dropped into all these tools you currently use. There's some foundational skills and knowledge that I say is important to have because as these things get dropped in, if you don't know how to use ChatGPT, you're not going to know how to use ChatGPT when it's integrated in Microsoft Word. That would be the first thing is it's valuable to take a couple of hours of your time, look up some of the sort of foundational skills and techniques like Google, what is prompt engineering, you know, what is a context window? How do I write a good prompt? You may not actually have to use that or do it, but it will help you understand the way the system works and it will help you use it better. And also understand what it's really good at and what it's really not good at. Is it really good at giving you authoritative encyclopedic information? It's getting better at it, but right now you still have to verify before you can trust a lot of the generation. So effects to GovCon, if you're a contracting officer, you have already read a proposal that has been written at least in part by ChatGPT. This thing is coming. It's not going to stop. What I would advise the government side folks is start looking at your workflows. Government contracting is already stressed and challenged. We have, what, a, a third of the KOs that we had before. The time to start implementing these tools for the benefit of the government really is now because industry is going to inherently move faster than the government. And so the time for us to do this is not when we're inundated with a deluge of 10x proposals. It's now before that happens so we can keep up for it on the industry side if you're trying to write more proposals if you're trying to write proposals more efficiently now is the time to start picking this stuff up and see again look at your workflows look at your processes what are the things that are overly manual there's probably an automation that you can drop into that workflow that will make it faster. Think about your people's time on a dollars per hour basis and think about how much, and particularly when you look at like whether or not you want to pay for a tool, an hour of a proposal writer's time is probably what, 120, $150 an hour. If you start talking about a monthly service fee for some software program that saves 10 hours of someone's time, saves a hundred hours over a month of someone's time, think about things in that conversation context. And that is where the competitive landscape is going to start moving because those folks who start adopting these tools, they're also going to have lower BNP rates. So their prices are going to start going down. And so you're not just talking about the number of proposals you can put in, you're going to start talking about the pricing for those proposals. There's Mm -hmm. a whole competitive dynamic here that's going to start moving in in the next three to five years that we really need to start getting on the front end of. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And you know, we're sitting here talking primarily about AI. We're not even talking about automation tools. that are some of them don't really use ai but ai is being integrated in with stuff every single day whether it's zapier or monday.com or you name it and i just did a podcast with somebody on specifically on automation and their mind has been blown about have used automation for years to reduce that time component and now ChatGPT is integrated with a tool and it can do more things for them and it's just blowing their mind. There's automation, there's AI, two separate things that are being integrated to accelerate all of those processes and procedures and I think that's going to be a really interesting next 5-10 years for a lot of folks.
1: I would add one other additional component to that Mike is AI and this is less talked about is those large language models like GPT have enabled a different type of data mining than we've mm-hmm. had before. What we're doing with Rogue is I have a whole corpus of old proposals and monthly status reports and you know responses to RFIs. I can take that, push it through the language model and put it into an unstructured database. And the next time I go in to write a proposal about IT services, I don't have to go in and copy paste my old shelfware. That language model can use my own content when it starts generating new content. I completely agree that generative AI plus automation to make your workflows faster, plus embeddings on the data side. Those three things together just make everything so much more powerful. Anyone using just one of those three is really
0: missing out. Yeah. It's going to be mind boggling in the next few years. So let's close out today with you talking a little bit about Rogue. Like, where'd you get the idea? It's fairly new. It's kind of in that beta mode, but give us overall, what is Rogue, where you got the idea and that kind of stuff. And we'll close out with that.
1: I appreciate the question. The original genus for Rogue started, I would say, in 2019. I was writing a response to an RFI, and I was mining my old MSRs to find, you know, past performance examples of when I have done X and for whom I did it. Having worked at DARPA, I knew what AI could do, and I thought to myself, my gosh, why can't AI do this? I know that AI can technically do this. Why isn't there a thing that does this for me? Fast forward a couple of years, the actual start for Rogue actually started on the government side, credit to them, CDAO, the Chief Digital and Artificial Intelligence Office, formerly known as Jake, put out a very small challenge and said, hey, what can you do in applying AI to government contracting? and it was a really small topic, but to your point earlier, it was a small topic, a small challenge. It had a response and it actually had an orals response. And we won the topic based on our orals response because we knew the problem. And so we built out Ackbot, which is the government platform. It's Acqbot.com. It's a, a government platform for accelerating acquisition. As we were building that out, it really kind of dawned on us, you can solve the one side of the equation you can make government acquisition faster, but if you don't bring in industry faster, if you don't accelerate their processes, and if you don't lower the barriers to entry for the non-traditionals, the startups, the small businesses, the disadvantaged folks, you're not going to get a better product. So what we need to do is accelerate both sides. So we actually, we spun out a separate company and started building out Use Rogue, which is a suite of tools, but it focuses on the proposal writing process and has a number of tools in there where you can very quickly go from, here is the solicitation or the announcement that I have. We push that into an unstructured database and that builds into a clean outline. And then we have generative AI that works in the flow of the writer so that you can very quickly turn a sentence into a paragraph, paragraph into a page. It builds off of your ideas and your inputs along with your source data that comes from your old proposals and whatnot.
0: I love that. I was checking it out yesterday, and it looks like it's really cool. I know it's still in beta mode. Maybe not in beta when this podcast comes out. It's userobe.com, correct? Correct. Thank you for coming on and talking about all this. stuff. I mean, we could talk for hours about this stuff. I don't know how geeky we wanted to get on the podcast, but I think we got in there fairly well, but kept it you know, easy for people to understand. I appreciate that. I appreciate your time. And as always, I'll have all your contact information on the website. People need to reach out to you. Thanks again for coming on, John. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, Mike. Like I said at the beginning, Game Changers was instrumental in my success when I first bought the company. So great thanks to you and to the platform you have. It's been a huge game changer for me. So thanks for having me on. It's been awesome.
0: Awesome. Thank you for the plug. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, I would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast and screenshot it and tag me on LinkedIn or whatever social media you use. So thank you again for joining us today and we'll see you next time.